Welcome to the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. I'm Kate Moore Youssef, and I'm a wellbeing and lifestyle coach, EFT practitioner, mum to four kids, and passionate about helping more women to understand and accept their amazing ADHD brains. After speaking to many women just like me, and probably you, I know there is a need for more health and lifestyle support for women newly diagnosed with ADHD. In these conversations, you'll learn from insightful guests, hear new findings and discover powerful perspectives and lifestyle tools to enable you to live your most fulfilled, calm and purposeful life wherever you are on your ADHD journey. Here's today's episode. So welcome back to another episode of the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Podcast. We are back again showcasing some of the episodes that I really believe need repeating because I don't think that we can ever hear some of this information enough. And it's so powerful because it reinforces and validates so many of our experiences. So I've combined together um, today's episode using an episode from way back at the beginning, actually, with Brittany Shane Hochstetler. And she is a brain expert and obviously an ADHD expert. And her fantastic account on Instagram was pivotal, me understanding all about ADHD and the brain. And we talk all about um, the role of the different parts of our brain with emotional dysregulation and how to really use neuroplasticity and change the way our, our thoughts are with regards to ADHD and being aware being aware of how we can use our brain for our benefit and no longer being on the back foot with it. And so it's really important that we understand about the sensory side also of ADHD and how that also manifests in our brain. So if you are interested in more of the neuroscience, a bit more of really understanding how your brain ticks, Brittany's episode was fantastic and I pulled out what I believe is a really key part of this episode. And then we move on to Candice Fox. Now, Candice is also an EFT practitioner. Um, She's a specialist in disordered eating as well and regulating our nervous system, which is a huge part of ADHD and something I'm very passionate about myself. I have just completed a course with Deb Danner, who is a specialist in the polyvagal theory, all about the nervous system. And I can't wait to share more about this with regards to ADHD and really understanding about regulating our nervous system. And I use this a lot with EFT and Candice and I talk about this in the episode again this is from way back at the beginning and it was really interesting to to be listening to this now through the lens of what I understand about the polyvagal theory and the nervous system so I really hope that these two episodes blend together a bit of information for you about your nervous system about your brain and about regulating and how we can regulate and the power of bringing together the awareness of our nervous system and the way our brain likes to tick especially when we are in a fight or flight time when we're in the stress response and how we can bring that down and maybe make ourselves feel a little bit more regulated and a bit calmer So yeah, I really hope that you enjoy today's episode with Brittany and Candice. And if you are looking at more information, we've got all details of what we talk about in the show notes and how to contact them if you'd like further information. So here's today's episode and I really hope you enjoy it. So when I was, I can't think exactly what age I was anywhere from like 10 to 12 years old, I did get diagnosed. So our family doctor did diagnose me, but my mom 
and I know like some people are going to hear this and they're instantly going to think, oh my gosh, like what a terrible parent. And this went, this came from the best place when it came to my mother, but she was like, you know, I don't think she needs medication. Like she's perfect the way she is. Sometimes things are going to take a little longer, whether it's reading comprehension or just a basic understanding of something. And I think she was trying her best to make me feel like I wasn't, I don't know, like there wasn't anything wrong with me. And she did understand me. She was very good at trying to make me feel better when I felt bad about myself, really, for whatever reason. So she never put me on medication. So I kind of like went through most of my life just, it was like I, I knew it was there, but I didn't really think much of it. It was just sort of like sitting in the back of my head, like every now and then if I met someone else that would talk about their ADHD, I'm like, oh yeah, I totally get that. I go through the same thing. And honestly, I used to just think that it was, oh, I just have some focus problems. You know, sometimes it's hard for me to understand something when I'm reading or I have to read it a dozen times or I'm a little forgetful. And I like seriously thought that's as far as ADHD went, honestly. And for a lot of my adult life, so I'm, I'm 35 now. And off and on, I would think, you know, I, I really should go get an evaluation done, another one as an adult, like just to be sure that I have it and see, you know, because there are so many frustrations about ADHD, as you had said as well. And I think the main thing that stopped me was that I was afraid to go to my doctor because I was afraid they would view me as someone, oh, she's just trying to get medication. She's just trying to get whatever. Or maybe they would view me as lazy or just making up excuses or something. So I just, I would not do it for years. And it was not until, so it was the summer of 2021. So a little over a year ago, that was when I finally did. And it was, yeah, pretty obvious. Like, yeah, you, you do like just to confirm you, you definitely do when you were diagnosed as a child, even though there wasn't any treatment. You, you do have ADHD. And so, yeah, I've just kind of gone from there. And I believe it was around the same time I was going through this brain health certification and I was learning a lot about the brain and neuroscience and neurobiology and behavior. And that's kind of how it sparked with the ADHD interest, you know, just like, wow, this isn't just a focus issue. It's more than just not being able to pay attention. And so learning about the brain a little more when it came to ADHD, along with getting that confirmation again from my doctor, that's kind of what sparked the interest of, I guess, going down that rabbit hole of learning more. So what, you're, what you have helped me do, and I share your posts all the time on my Instagram account. Thank you. Is that you help break it all down. You help <laughs> break down the things that we see, the daily annoyances, the ups and the downs, the little nuances that pop up in, you know, in our ADHD lives, the thoughts, the systems, the traits. I mean, I could go on with so many different examples. And what you help, you help us validate that there's a neurochemical reason there's a neurological reason there's something going on in the different parts of our brain and that's what I just has made me feel so much better about my own ADHD because it's made me see okay well that's happening because of this and there's a receptor that's doing this and 
I'm really not a medical person and I love how you kind of simplify it. And what you help me do is you enable me to be able to explain it to my clients or my children or to family members or my husband. So I would love for you to tell, let's, I'm just going to throw some things out there. It's going to be a bit of a quick fire <laughs> because these are the things that, that come up a lot, especially in my world of ADHD with my kind of audience, but also what I see on your grid, on your Instagram account. And I'm going to just, let's start with burnout and this. And I saw a specific term, which I, I think is so powerful is the productivity guilt, because I suffer from this on a ridiculous level and I think contributes to burnout I think ADHD burnout is so prevalent and I saw your statistic that you said um something like 54% of us it's like 20% more than neurotypicals suffer with burnout with ADHD alongside I've definitely you know had this in different parts of my life and it's a cycle that's really hard to break unless we are super aware of it and we are aware of how it shows up in different facets as well, because it's not just a career burnout. It's like a right. life burnout, isn't it? So mm. maybe we could just, let's just hone in on the productivity guilt. What is that? Productivity guilt, I feel like in a nutshell, is just feeling like you're never doing enough, but you're always doing something. You're always moving. You're constantly, you feel like you're always doing something, but then nothing gets done. You, at the end of the day, you think, well, what in the world did I do? I mean, every, everything still looks the same, or I didn't get this done. I didn't even get started on that. And, and so that's where the guilt kind of sets in. And that can come from maybe from some of the people that we are also around, because then we start to get a little paranoid. Well, I, I have been doing stuff all day. I know it doesn't look like it, but I have been. And so you're kind of feeling like you have to explain yourself to other people too, almost, mm. you know? Yeah. Do you think we put really high expectations on ourselves that contribute to this productivity guilt? I do. And I think, well, for one, this takes a lot of introspection and awareness on like yourself as a person. So sometimes you have to Think about your current situation, maybe even look back in your childhood a little bit. If you were told, hey, you're not trying hard enough, you need to try harder, you can do better, look at all these other kids, they're doing just fine, all you have to do is focus a little more, you're just being lazy, you're not motivated, and so you really sit here and think, well, gosh, I must be lazy, like maybe I don't care, and maybe I just need to pick up my motivation a little bit, and so when you get that, those messages and I mean, throughout the years and you're being programmed to think that you're just not doing enough so that, I mean, that's going to sit in the back of your mind and you're going to think I'm not, I guess I'm just not doing enough. And so you're going to work harder and harder and you're going to keep thinking that it's still not enough. And so AKA where that guilt kind of sets in and we do have a lot of expectations. I think too much. We expect too much from ourselves. And that, I mean, like I said, it could be due from various reasons, but I do think some of it has to do with some of the messages that we got when we were kids. Why does our emotional regulation play such a big part with the ADHD brain? So it really, it really does seem like emotional dysregulation, regulation is 
you know, the core of ADHD when you think about it, whether it is hyperactivity, impulsivity, um, it, it just seems like that's the core of everything that we are having to deal with. And so I guess in a nutshell, part of the emotional dysregulation has to do with, well, our prefrontal cortex, which I know many have heard ours is not as strong as it should be. It is weakened. I know that some people don't like to hear that or they feel offended, but I don't know how else to word it. It doesn't, we do have a weakened prefrontal cortex, like a weakened functioning of the prefrontal cortex. And so- I just thought to interrupt you, what does the prefrontal cortex do for our brain? Like what's it there for? What's the function for it? So the way I like to think of it is that area kind of helps us to think before we do, think before we do, think before we speak, our thinking, our logic, our planning, organization, kind of planning ahead. It's sort of like the supervisor, like think of the supervisor in your brain, just kind of telling you what you need to do and, or to kind of plan ahead of time. So I kind of look at it as a supervisor. It is involved with empathy as well. So it does have some other factors involved. Which I think Um, we have, I think we have empathy in the bucket load. So, I do too, yeah. which I find interesting because don't you read a lot with ADHD? There's a lack of empathy and I don't see that. I see, I like you said, bucket loads yeah. of empathy. That's what I personally yeah. see. I so see I, that all the time. Yeah. I just, I find that whole thing a little interesting. Like when I read that, I'm like, mm, I don't think so. I feel like we are very empathetic people. Um, I guess with the with the prefrontal cortex, that's what's kind of going on there. And there's another brain structure where it's called the amygdala. And so that can kind of involve our, you know, our emotions, feelings, fight or flight response, which I'm sure a lot have heard of that. And so when we're kind of emotional and that area is getting a little fired up, we kind of get a little less logical about things, right? So it does kind of affect that prefrontal cortex where, you know, the amygdala is fired up. We're getting a little emotional, irritable, whatever it may be. Um, You know, it's kind of overpowering the prefrontal cortex. So it might start to overpower that our logical thinking and reasoning and that sort of thing. So with ADHD, because we already have that weakened function in the prefrontal cortex to begin with, that can make it seem like it's a little worse for us at times when it comes to emotional dysregulation. So it, it, yeah, it just feels like it just overpowers you when you get to a certain point, I guess, whether it is irritability or excitement or it's not even just irritability or sadness. It could be excitement. You know, you see someone with ADHD, they're so excited about something and everyone's looking around them like, Oh, it's cool. It's exciting. But you're like really excited. Yeah, definitely. So before we finish, I wanted to ask you um, about the sensory side of ADHD, because I know that this is really connected with our brain and the receptors and lots of things that's going on where we can't work out why certain things we can't stand, we can't do that again, deplete us, that make us want to go and hide in a dark room. 
And I just, and I know it shows up so differently, all the sensory stuff, where I have an issue with smells, um, noises a little bit, but, you know, certain people with ADHD have more kind of, um, you know, just textures and food and loads of things. What What is the sensory side with ADHD and why is it so prominent? That is a really, really good question. That's a really good question. I think there is so much to it because, well, we have multiple senses, first of all. So even aside from the five senses, like we talked about with the interoception, um, I think some of it, so the, so the one thing I'm thinking of, again, coming back to the amygdala, so that kind of getting like a little fired up and everything when we're getting a little irritable and some of that overload could be happening. Kind of what you were just saying a moment ago about using up space. So for everything that you're doing, you're taking up, so I know I'm throwing in a different term, working memory, but that I'll kind of say like prefrontal cortex, I'll kind of just um, stick with that. It's still taking up some of that space. So for everything that you're doing, you're still, it's still taking up some of that space in your brain. And pretty soon it's, it's at capacity and you're just, you're done. You're like, it, it's just like, you're completely done. And so think of it like a spoon, like spoons in a cup. So for everything you need to do, you take a spoon out and you have to keep taking spoons out and pretty soon they're all gone and you have no more spoons to pull out of the cup. And so now the, like everything is just, it's full and you're done. So again, with the amygdala getting a little fired up along with the prefrontal cortex, like just that whole area being weakened to begin with and using up the space so quickly we can go through that overload. Uh, well, like it doesn't just have to be overload though, because I know you mentioned some people, they don't like smells or some even seek it. So I shouldn't just say overload because some people seek certain things. They may seek loud environments. They may seek um, parties. They may seek, um, you know, where they love going to concerts and they just love like the loud music and running into people. So that's where it gets, it just gets interesting because we are all so different and some of it is sensory input. So for the, for the seekers, they are, their brains are craving that input like that. And that will give them that dopamine hit. And sometimes that rush, that feeling where they're getting that rush. And so they may go and they seek uh, certain environments or certain people or settings where it does give them enough input to where it is giving them that dopamine hit but then you have people that go through the overload very easily. And you can do both. You can be both. You can be a sensory seeker and a sensory avoider. Um, I know it's it's hard to believe that you can be both, but you, you can be both. It kind of goes back to the emotional dysregulation of the whole thing. Yeah. And I just think it's so much more helpful to have explanations and, and understanding because we can then tell our kids we they don't have to live in the dark they don't have to um have the lack of knowledge that maybe we all grew up with and they can make choices that feel feel good to them you know even just from a you know just having a, a fidget toy you know if the, you've got you know you're a stimmer and you need to be able to move i might say it with my daughter that she needs something all the time she watches tv upside down <laughs> it's 
the craziest. I she's seven. Like yeah. She, she sits and she watches it upside down with her feet up on the couch. And she's really happy like that, you know? And I just kind of think if someone else came into the house and said, what is she, like, why? But there's obviously something she likes, the pressure on her head, maybe the blood into her brain. She's comfortable. She can watch TV. And so I leave her. But, you know, maybe if I didn't have that awareness, I'd be like, sit on the couch properly. That's not the way to watch TV. But right, watching it upside down. <laughs> well, and the awareness is important. And I think this whole thing of what you're saying is so important because you still have people out there that say, well, you know, it sounds like you're just wanting to use it as an excuse or you're just wanting, you're just wanting to use it as an excuse. Like why have this label? And it, this is not a matter of trying to make up excuses. It's a matter of having an understanding of what is going on with the brain and awareness. And because if you can do that, then you can kind of know what the next steps are. And we're going to have to deal with this for the rest of our lives probably, but at least we will know what is going on within ourselves sometimes and maybe some of the steps we can take to make it a little easier. So that's what it's coming down to. I, this is not about anyone trying to make up an excuse for anything. So I do want to, I did want to point that out because I still hear that. Yeah, I do as well. And it's, it makes me really sad. And I just yeah. wish there was a bit more awareness and um, education that is growing. But, you know, the the more we can talk about it, um, it can diminish the the naysayers and it can, you know, you know, if you have one person that, you know, thinks that it's all nonsense, but you have lots of other things that you're listening to that is validating. I really hope you are enjoying today's episode. And I wanted to let you know about all the resources and the library of content that I'm building for you on my website. I know so many of you who are waiting for a diagnosis or perhaps have had a diagnosis and then have just been offered the only option of medication. So my library of resources is really open for anyone that wants to learn more about how to help themselves and empower themselves with regards to their ADHD. As you probably have heard me talking about, I have my ADHD hormone series where I am speaking to lots of different experts and specialists about how our hormones have impacted us throughout our lives and the connection between ADHD. We're talking about migraines, about gut, about PCOS, endometriosis. We're talking about PMDD, postnatal depression, and the impact of ADHD on pregnancy. There are so many different areas and complexities that our ADHD shows up as women. And I want to give you that validation, but also give you lots of tools at your disposal, lifestyle tools, nutritional tools, being able to get genetic testings, really understanding your hormones, and also, of course, perimenopause and menopause and how that shows up. I'm speaking to lots of different doctors, nutritional therapists, real experts and scientists in their field. That is part of my resources, but I also have lots of free resources as well with regards to burnout, managing our energy, using EFT tapping, and just general well-being. So I really want you to be able to tap into these different resources, whether it's paid for, it's the free ones. Um, I've got your tapping into your gold workshop, which is a very empowering workshop, helping you thrive alongside your ADHD with regards to your career and leaning into your authenticity and really being open to what it is that you want out of life. Now you understand your ADHD, your brain, your energy, 
and I guess what your desires are now that you have more of an awareness around the way your brain works. So please head to my website, adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk, choose the resources that work for you, start slow, start with one workshop, with one resource, try not to get overwhelmed. But I do urge you to look at the ADHD and hormones workshops because it's so groundbreaking and we're giving you the most up-to-date information and I am updating this with new specialists and experts as we speak. So I've just updated it and from September onwards, we are going to be increasing the price due to the increase in resources. So if you are interested, I would urge you to, to look at it right now at the launch price. Now back to this week's episode. So my journey is definitely not linear. And, you know, my introduction into EFT was really to solve the the issue around an eating disorder that I had. And so at the age of 26, I had gone into a treatment center. Traditional therapies are great, but it just didn't work for me. So I came out of that. By the time I was 28, I was relapsing and I was sort of in a situation where I had exhausted all of my resources here in Canada. And EFT and somatic tools aren't in the mainstream. So it wasn't like, you know, you could just Google now, you can Google up tools for for eating disorders or anything, and EFT might come up. That wasn't the case 10 years ago. So I ended up flying myself to Costa Rica. I stayed in this eco community called uh, Pachamama. And I had this beautiful couple who were psychotherapists from the Netherlands or maybe Denmark or something like that. And they taught us some crazy things. Like we were on the floor connecting with our spirit animals. Like we were doing insane things for me because my background, marketing communications, I'm like, what the heck did I get myself into? But one of the beautiful things was this acupressure tapping. They didn't call it EFT. It was called acupressure tapping when they introduced it. And it wasn't the EFT tapping recipe, which I'll talk a little bit about, but you know, um, Kate. So yeah, so I had this tool and and I just felt different using it. Like immediately um, I was able to self-regulate and just feel more deeply in my body. So fast forward, go back to Canada. I'm using this tool in conjunction with other tools and things are getting better for me, but I'm not fully feeling like the eating disorder is behind me. I'm feeling a little flimsy in my in my healing. Um, but someone saw me sort of tapping on my collarbone point and my thymus gland, and they said, are you an EFT practitioner? And after that, I went online, searched, found the National EFT Training Institute in Canada, and I have been um, glued to Nancy Forrester, our executive director there, ever since, and she cannot shake me off even if she wanted to. So so that was my sort of non-linear, but as linear as I can make it story. And that was in 2018, and or yeah, 2018, we're in 2022 now, um, and my whole world has sort of changed. You know, I'm no longer in marketing communications, my goal now is to support, you know, women with ADHD. The underlying thing there for me with the eating disorder was ADHD. And I didn't get my diagnosis until like many women, I think, listening to this. And so when I got that diagnosis, it just made everything make sense. And so having this tool, even when I was learning about my ADHD and that how that all unfolded, I think it made the impact of that so much 
lighter and safer and just more of a beautiful experience than than jarring Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, can I ask, was your eating disorder, I mean, how old were you when it started to become very prevalent? You know, I think the behaviors started when I was 16, but I noticed patterns of disordered eating far beyond there. Can you tell me how EFT helped you with your disordered eating? Yeah. So I think right away, like even when we think about somatic touch and the power of somatic touch, so even just touching our bodies, like I think there's such a stigma around pleasure and like making ourselves feel good through our own touch that people don't think about that. Don't think about just like caressing themselves. And I'm not talking about in like a romantic or sexual way, but just in a feel good way. Um, And often when you look at kids or babies, toddlers, they know how to self-regulate themselves just through through touch, right? And so when I was sort of gravitating towards using EFT, the thing that got me was like, for anyone who's listening to this and has bulimia, you know that they're sort of like, it, it is addiction, right? And so it's like that high, you need to eat that food, you need to eat that food. And so for me, the tapping took away the edge And that's why I think EFT is also really great for a lot of other addiction issues. It's because it eases the the nervous system, it takes away the edge, and then you can calm the nervous system down. For most individuals dealing with an eating disorder, they might not be aware of their triggers, and certainly I wasn't, but the beautiful thing about tapping is you don't necessarily have to be aware of your triggers. You just need to have that little window of capacity where you can choose tapping over the binge eating. And it doesn't happen right away. And and certainly there were moments where, you know, I was in my eating disorder using tapping, but still in my eating disorder. And that's fine that that happens. Relapses is going to happen. But you'll notice that window of tolerance, your window of tolerance expands just a little bit more each time. And then before you know it, you literally can sit there and choose what you want to do. Do I want to give in to that urge and binge purge? Or do I want to sit here in these uncomfortable feelings and just tap and love myself and give myself a hug and tell me everything is going to be okay? You know, even for me, the thing before my eating disorder behaviors sort of were under control, Kate, the biggest thing I noticed with tapping was my self-talk, which is a huge thing for people with eating disorders, because in the eating disorder world, we label the eating disorder Ed, and Ed takes on a life of his or her own, of its own, and so you sort of always feel like you have this like monkey on your shoulder who is saying mean things to you, you can't eat that, you should eat this, you have to eat all of that now, and that voice in my head just sort of dissipated before even the behaviors did. And so I felt this level of freedom that it was a freaking miracle for me, you know, because I thought, honestly, I thought I was a goner. Um, And anyone who has gone to that point with their body where, you know, your organs are starting to just give out on you, your body is weak, and you are a shell of the person that you are. Uh, When you have a tool that, you know, you can recoup, you know, in half the time, it's amazing. I spent 15 years of my life going to therapy from 15 to, you know, 28, 29, 30, and have a tool that within 
you know, a year, two year, three year span, I don't even identify as having an eating disorder. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. And that is why EFT for me is just incredible because like you say, the talk therapy just gets, gets you to a certain point, but the EFT and it's just constant, you know, like I hear it all the time. I see it with my clients, these breakthroughs that they get where they uncover something like a perspective shift or a reflection or acknowledgement, or just like, I would say it's like this inner wisdom that just comes through that you're like, Oh my God, like a, a complete aha moment just break that down a little bit what does that mean to bring in somatic tools yeah so somatic means the body and EFT is categorized as a cognitive and somatic tool so in this case we are using uh, therapeutic stimuli so traditional you might think of it as talk therapy Um, so when a client is in a session with an EFT practitioner often we will very safely trigger the nervous system and then we will tap on the acupressure points on the body. So that's that somatic piece. And then we move energy, move emotion together. And and like you said, there's usually a lot of insights and stuff. So when I say somatic tools, what I really mean is using our own bodies as tool for healing. And, you know, it's interesting because when we think about any sort of mental illness, we always think to treat it in the brain, but trauma is stored in the body, right? And so we have to work with the body um, in order to heal the system. And so I'm not poo-pooing on traditional therapies. I'm not poo-pooing on talk therapy. They are a huge part, right? Because we have to, you know, we want to talk those things out but trauma is stored in the body. And so we have to also work with the body and the nervous system in order to to shift our energy or to move emotion out um, because it's not all in our head. We know that there are more signals um, that move up to the brain as opposed to the brain signaling down to the body. Even when we think about the gut, the gut is talking more to the brain than the brain is talking to the gut. And so that is so important when we're looking at therapies and we're looking at things to help us, um, we have to not forget the body because the body stores all the answers. It has all the answers. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting, isn't it? Because I think just we've all just presumed that we are dictated to by our brain and our brain only. And so hence the reason why we have a thought, that thought must be true because our brain's given us that thought. But when we start recognizing how things, and especially, and this is when it all clicked into place for me when I did all my training with EFT, is understanding about trauma in the body and the releasing. And actually, we're tapping. We don't want to be rationalizing too much. We want to almost shift out of that logical brain mode and bring in the subconscious side of our brain because that's where the memories come in. Very often, if we're tapping in a, a random memory or a thought or a saying that someone told us, you know, like when we're 10, we'll come into our brain and always without fail, my client will say, this is really random, but this is what's just come into my head. And I always say it's never random. It's always a reason that it's ready to be released and to come out now because you've been storing it. It's just incredible, isn't it? The We've got these acupressure points in our body that we have no, we have no idea about. This just purely the tapping alone. If we don't even want to talk, very often I'll use tapping and breath work 
and that's it if I haven't really you know got I don't maybe I don't have the mental energy to talk and I just need to physically calm the nervous system I need to feel calm in my body which then helps me feel calmer in my head I'll just tap and breathe and that tapping alone we see it I'm sure you do as well for yourself and clients that will do a lot of yawning so that's a physical release very often there, there will be tears crying or you'll just feel physically exhausted like you'll just want to sleep or have a rest and that's how our body is reacting just to the somatic touch alone when I came across the acupressure points and I understood the connection from the Chinese medicine side as well if you want to go a little bit deeper it's connected to different areas of our body different organs and those different organs are connected to our emotions, aren't they? So it just offers definitely a lot more clarity, but also an opportunity just to reflect on just specific things as opposed to just a big mishmash, especially with ADHD, which is typically what's in our heads, will just be a mishmash of everything, which then contributes to this kind of overwhelm and the and the nervous system just being on high alert the whole time so that is why I just genuinely I believe that EFT was made for ADHD what you just said is so true and and oftentimes with with ADHDers we have so like it's like a television channel in our brain that we cannot turn off and lots of times I have clients that come in that have like sort of conflicting thoughts and they feel stuck and so one of the things that we do a lot in my sessions particular is parts work and so we identify those parts of us who you know have this opinion but this other part of us that has this opinion and tapping is great because it allows for them to almost be able to step back from the situation that they feel stuck in and being able to look at the two parts within themselves that are conflicting and making it difficult for them to move forward. So there is that piece of just calming the nervous system, which is great because we know those stress hormones wreak havoc in our body and and can create and cause, you know, lots of disease. But when our clients are able to sort of sit firmly in their chair and be able to observe themselves and have a level of self-awareness eventually, that's like the juicy stuff for me. That is the stuff that I get chills just thinking about it right now, because that is the, those moments where your clients just have those breakthroughs and then sky's a friggin' limit for them. And I see women come in, women and men come into my chair who have ADHD and they feel like I have this ADHD and this is just how my life is going to be. And to see the maturation in the brain, because we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the um, neuroplasticity, but I truly believe that tapping can help develop immature or underdeveloped parts of the brain and to see them come in and be like a different person, mm-hmm. step into their world in a much more fulfilling and like in a leadership role or just, you know, more fully, it's, it's so beautiful. And it's the reason why you and I do this work is because we want to see our clients succeed. Let's just go into that sort of the neuroplasticity side, because you're talking about being able to grow, isn't it? It's like growing new neural pathways and growing new ways to think. So we're not stuck in that kind of mindset it's like a, it's a growth mindset isn't it it's recognizing that we can grow as people and in our thought patterns and not stay in this one place of I have held a belief since I was 
12 that I'm not good enough because my teacher told me, you know, I didn't do well enough. And ever since then, that's my belief. And so it reflects and projects into different areas of my work and life. Yeah. yeah. So we're now growing through using something like EFT to create new thoughts and to those thoughts to create new actions. So tell me a little bit about the neuroplasticity side. So I think we even have to go back to like childhood. So self-regulation is taught through co-regulation. And so if anyone grew up in a household where you did not have a mature, and, and I'm saying this with love and compassion, but if you grew up in a home where mom and dad did not have self-regulation tools to teach you, you are there might be a case in which you might be just stunted. We know that kids who are not given the proper love, care, and affection, their brains are smaller by 20% than children who are in homes where there's lots of love and affection, self-regulation, and yada, yada. And when we look at ADHD brains, it's the same thing. ADHD brains are about 20% smaller than that of a person who is considered neurotypical. And so very interesting right there. So when you know, we think about self-regulation, it is the cornerstone of development. In order to develop your brain, you need to be in a state in which the body can repair itself properly, proper sleep, where the stress hormones aren't wreaking havoc all over the body, right? And if you're in a home where you're not in an environment where you are developing properly, that's going to show up in the brain. And so you're going to um, sort of carry that trauma throughout your life. And that might show up in, you know, negative thoughts. And then that's your path in life. Once those neural pathways are there, unless you're using tools to sort of shift that, you're going to, your life is going to reflect how you feel inside and what you believe about yourself. So if you think that you're a shitty person and you're unlovable and yada, 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 even though that's not true, none of that is true, you're going to put yourself in situations and positions where you're going to attract that because everything about you, you know, the energy, the people that you choose to be around, that's going to reinforce all of that stuff. So when we go and look at EFT, the first thing is EFT creates the, the environment in the body to grow because you can't grow and expand and your brain can't mature if it doesn't have oxygen, blood, and the proper resources. When we're in our flight or fright, our sympathetic fight or flight, or in our dorsal, so that free state, we don't have proper blood flow and oxygen going to the brain. We're not even using our, our frontal cortex, our prefrontal cortex. That is completely offline. So when we're calming the body and creating an internal environment where we can explore, have these revelations, that is literally creating new neuropathways. When your client sits in front of you and says, you know what, that belief is not mine. That belief was a belief of my mother's and, and that's not mine. That's a new belief system. They just created a new neuropathway for themselves. And so don't think about that. You know, when we're, when we have these clients that come in and they have these new thoughts, we really have to reinforce those new thoughts and behaviors because those new neural pathways, they're new and they're fresh. The other ones that have been in the brain, the, the limiting beliefs, the behaviors we don't want, they've had years and years and years to, to grow and, and create those curves in the brain. So when we have a client that sits in front of us and is like, they have this new awareness or they have this, you know, this 
urge to do something different, we have to really reinforce that because that's that new neural pathway that we really need them to always follow. It's the same thing with the eating disorder. When they choose differently, that's the new neural pathway. And so that's self-development. That's developing the brain. That's maturation. That's where that all comes from, right? It's doing the work. That's the healing. So it really is us supporting our clients to stick with it and to not fall back to, to old patterns and behaviors um, because the growth within the brain is in direct correlation with the work in session and, and having those new beliefs, those, those new insights, those new motivations, all of that stuff. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. I hope you found what you were looking for in this conversation and it's helped guide you towards some further self-healing, self-exploration, and most importantly, self-acceptance. And if you have enjoyed this conversation and would like to experience more of my work, such as access to exclusive live workshops and opportunities for group coaching sessions, connecting with other like-minded women, and a general feeling of belonging, please come and check out my monthly membership, the ADHD Women's Wellbeing Collective. I've made it as affordable as possible and I offer you lots of resources and opportunities for connection and support from other women all around the world being diagnosed with ADHD later on in life. I'd absolutely love to see you there. All the details are in this episode's show notes or on my website adhdwomenswellbeing.co.uk. See you in the next episode.